Thank you, girls. Great job, Eli. And who was the other one? Claire? Is that who was up here? It's dark. I couldn't see. Y'all did a great job. I want to remind you of this. Um, right now, we are trusting that you're going to be giving online. Uh, if if you're not here, if you are here and you came prepared to give, we're not going to be passing baskets like we normally do. Uh, we would just recommend that you drop any of those offerings off in the offering box that's out in the foyer by the water fountain. So it's on the right when you exit. Um, you guys as a church have been doing a great job uh, in maintaining giving over the course of the last several weeks, and we certainly say thank you for that. Um, it's allowing us to forge forward in ministry in healthy ways, and that's uh, an excellent place for us to be. Um, I should have been opening my notebook computer when I was uh, talking. Um, this morning, we are continuing, and we're in our second week on this uh, series on love, and, and you, I, originally it was uh, titled, if you, if you want to know these things, Charity and Its Fruit or Love and Its Fruits. It is based on um, some sermons of Jonathan Edwards, and you can get the book. I would highly recommend it. One of the guys uh, in the seminar as we were uh, reviewing the work, he actually had an interesting perspective on it. He, he said that he and his wife are going to be reading through it for a devotional series. And I thought, man, that's, that's really brilliant. Um, and it's that rich. You, you, you would not be able to exhaust those 15 sermons. Um, and, and some of them would take several, actually several days to get through if you're going to work through it devotionally because it's really rich reading and, and uh, strong thoughts. So last week... Um, we looked at the just introductory thoughts about love out of 1 Corinthians 13. And one of the things that I want to remind you of that we, we considered is this idea that the natural man, a man apart from Christ, okay, they can love, people can love apart from Christ. But the motivation of that love being apart from Christ is built on two things. Does anybody remember the terms from last week? And, and you can always cheat and go back and look at your notes. I'm going to give you a second. Did anybody bring their notes from last week? You did, Juliana? Way to go, sweetie. Gina, did you? What, what is the natural man? He, he is motivated by two things in his ability to love. Who said that? Thank you, Mallory. Privilege is one. Performance is the other. So what is the idea of privilege? Does anybody remember that? More than just the word itself. Okay, let me, let me help us just to make it a little quicker. So privilege is when we grow in knowledge and we think that we have this understanding that we're privileged to have these ideas in place that we can love, okay? So it's kind of, uh, Paul contrasts this idea of knowledge with love, that a lot of times we think, oh, I have all the knowledge of these things and I can love well. But it's really about what we know and not who we represent in Christ. And that natural man, so if you think about it, uh, before you, some of you came to Christ, did you show love to your parents or, or maybe a boyfriend or girlfriend? Yeah, I did. But it was not a biblical Christ-like love. It was selfishly oriented, right? Because I was privileged. I knew what love was and I knew how to, in my mind, love them rightly, <laughs> But it was false. It, it, was, it was a wrong motivation. The second one, performance, is that oftentimes we love and say, hey, I want to look good to people, so I'm performing in this way so that my, uh, this view of love and, and who I am, it, it looks good. And, and all of us are guilty of that at some level, aren't we? But when Christ saves us and we are transformed, who indwells us? 
the Holy Spirit. And what does he do? He transforms our ability to love from privilege and performance to that motivated by the work of the Spirit, which reflects us carrying the divine nature of Christ because the Holy Spirit is in us. So love is motivated totally different. And so that becomes that agape love where it's self-sacrificial. By the way, um, I got to, to do some pre-marriage counseling over the last, well, over the, the, the stay-at-home safe months. Um, and it was really interesting. And I would highly, highly recommend this book to you guys. I've, I've done it before. But um, and I know it takes weeks and months now to get books in. It's crazy. Uh, but go get John Piper's book, This Momentary Marriage. Uh, it was incredible because through the counseling with this couple, the, the, they basically said, uh, well, as the, the girl, she said, I did not know that love was not about feeling. And I was like, oh my goodness, praise God that we've read this book, that we've had the opportunity to talk about this because she realized that love is about a choice. It's about, what, what is marriage? It's a covenant. It's agreeing to enter into this covenant relationship so that we show love, not about the performance and my feelings, but instead about that which is motivated by Christ in me so that I esteem the other as better than myself. Isn't that what Christ's ministry was all about? That he humbled himself and he suffered on our behalf so that we might find freedom from sin because of, of his sacrifice and his, his obedient living. See, so love that we're talking about is not about privilege and performance. It's about laying ourselves down for one another so that we reflect Christ rightly. That is not what the world says today, folks. And we need to recognize that biblical love, Christian love, is one, far superior, and two, it is distinct, okay? So that's what we're, where we kind of came from last week. So this week, we're going to, uh, and, and last week is a little bit more of an overview of 1 Corinthians 1 through 13. This week, we're, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. This week, we're going to uh, look at their text, and we're going to break this down a little bit more about love and its superiority, and it being the more excellent thing, more excellent than the gift. So turn into your Bibles. And we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 13, and I'll give you just a second to get there. And again, um, this, this last week, I did not have the, the momentum in my week to start memorizing this, but I do want next week for us to say together 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. If we could get that memorized this week, that would be awesome. So that's a good goal. So especially all my children in here, I would definitely want you to be able to do that with us. We'll, we'll have like a special moment for you guys next week in that time where we quote that together, okay? So 1 Corinthians 13, well, let's start there. And actually, we're going to back up just a little bit into chapter 12. And uh, we're going to read uh, verse 29 and start right there, okay? 1229, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Now, I'm going to come back and talk about that con contextually in just a minute. Let's keep reading. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, 
but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So here's what is interesting. In this context, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul has been teaching the the church at Corinth uh, about the spiritual gifts that are are present in the life of the church. And here at the end of the chapter 12, he comes to these, uh, what we often term ecstatic gifts. These would be things like prophecy, healing, and tongues, maybe interpretation of tongues. And he's saying those are, are higher gifts. They are great gifts. But let me remind you of something. Who bestows gifts? The giver, right? And in this sense, spiritual gifts are bestowed by the Spirit, right? So it's not something that I can go, hey, I want that gift specifically, Holy Spirit, give it to me. Now, we can desire them, and Paul says that we are to desire them. But he says this, there is still something more excellent than the gifts. Now, now let me do some very clear teaching about gifts for just a minute. There are two camps about spiritual gifts today, basically. There's a camp that says some of these gifts have ceased, okay? And there's another camp that says that they continue. Can I be really blunt with you for a second? It doesn't matter. (laughs) It's it's not essential, okay? And and as a young guy, I kind of latched onto this thought for, for me personally. I just need to worry about love, Gifts are great, but the Holy Spirit's the one who bestows them. I can desire them. I can pray and ask for them. I could do that every day, all day long, but the Holy Spirit's the one who dispenses it. I cannot control what he does. Because ultimately, what my resolve ought to be is to love well. Because love is the more excellent way. Period. That's where there should be no compromise for us as Christians. It's very straightforward, and I think Paul is very straightforward. Now, let me give you a little bit more insight to this for just a second. I think this was going on at the church of Corinth. We know this. They were a messy church, okay? They had lots of stuff going wrong, and this letter in 2 Corinthians is Paul's continued correction of where they were getting things wrong. Now, let's say this. Let's say they were getting everything right about the gifts, because they were being practiced. All these gifts were probably being practiced at this point, but I would believe this. Even though they were being practiced and it was so close to Christ in in this early days of the the New Testament church, guess what they were still doing? They were still misusing and misinterpreting and misapplying the gifts. (laughs) That's why Paul is constantly correcting them. Do you think it's any different for us today? Nope. (laughs) We're still misapplying, misinterpreting, misusing them. And I'm going to say this. That's why they should not be made that much of. Because what we ought to be doing is saying, okay, Holy Spirit, if you've given me these gifts, that the desire that I have in my act of obedience ought to be to minister to others. It's not about my privilege or performance. See, I think that's one of the tendencies that we have is to go back and say, well, I've got these gifts. Let it be about me. No, gifts are about how we love one another well in service. And that is the call that Paul is making to the church. Set the gifts aside for just a minute. Because here's the the other thing about gifts. Now, I'm going to give you an illustration in just a second. Gifts are going to go away. I don't know if you ever thought about that. Gifts will not be eternal. Why is that? What are gifts for? Help me out. What are gifts for? Say it really loud because the air conditioner is running. The edification of the church, great. I, I would, what did, Eric, I think you're the one who spoke up over here. Bring glory to God, bring glory to God. That's, that's true. So as a church is edified, it brings glory to God. 
okay? But, but ultimately, it's for the, the building up of the body that we would serve one another so that we grow and mature in the faith. What happens when we are glorified, when we, this existence is done and we go to heaven? Do we need spiritual gifts anymore? Nope. <laughs> they will not be employed in heaven. That's crazy to think about, but it's because everything will be satisfied when we get to heaven. We will be glorified. We will have no more need for spiritual gifts. But think about this, love. What is love rooted in? What is the core nature of love? It's in God himself, right? It's, it's the relationship that incorporates the relationship of the Trinity, Follow me? So, so why is Paul saying it's more excellent? Because it's represented by God himself. And so love will remain. It's a value that will remain. So let me give you, I try to give you an illustration. Hopefully this helps a little bit. I've got two simple gifts here. And I'm going to tell you what they are, okay? So I want a child, somebody young to come up here. Who wants, it? Who wants one gift? Who wants another? Okay, come on, Max. Is that who you are? I'm, I'm having a little tart. I got it right, didn't I? Okay, Max, come here. Okay, Royal. You're the other one. And I'm going to give Max first choice, okay? Sorry, Roy, but you were second. So that's just part of the thing, okay? So you come, come up here and turn around so everybody on Facebook can see you guys, okay? Come here, Royal. Come stand right here. There you go. See the camera right there, the little camera right above Jacob's head floating in the air. Let's wave everybody on Facebook. Say hi, Facebook. Hi, Facebook. You want to say it, Max? Hi, Facebook. There you go. Way to go. Okay. In this envelope, I have $5, okay? In this envelope... I have a, a piece of paper that has a passage of scripture on it that talks about who we are in Christ, okay? Which one do you think is the more valuable gift? It's not a trick question. Okay, Max, Roy, why do y'all think that? Because scripture is more valuable than money. Because scripture is more valuable than money? Way to go. The illustrations, they just blown. I thought, give me a high five, both of you. Okay, good. Now, I'm gonna, wait, wait. I'm going to give you guys a choice in the gift, Okay. And, and you're going to get what's left over, I'm sorry, because there's just two, but it's still good. Okay, either way. Why, why is money, as cool as it is, as much as we need it, as much as we try to, to work for it and save it, what's the issue with money? It, it's only good for here, right? Yeah, and, and $5, even if you invest it, right, which I'm sure you guys will do, right? College-bound funds, Right? I'm teasing, okay? Yeah, m money, it might buy you a couple matchbox cars or, you know, comic books or something like that, right? But once you spend it, what happens? It can break. It can, it's gone, right? The, the toys can break. Yeah, can, the books can get lost in the trash or whatever. Get torn up. Torn up, yeah, that's right, right? scribbled in. Scribbled in, yeah. Your brother could ruin it for you or one of these. Maybe like Max's, maybe his Max little. Miles could scribble in there for, for Max, okay. Yeah, but the point is, money is temporary, isn't it? As much as we value it. But I'm going to open this up, and I want to read this, okay? Here's what this passage in Galatians 3, 1 through 9 says. And I want you to hear the eternal nature of who we are in Christ and our inheritance. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world old man. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we 
might receive adoption as sons and daughters. And because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. So this passage in Galatians talks about our inheritance and the future glory that we have as heirs of Christ, as as sons and daughters. So we could take the temporary gift or we can take the one that represents eternal things, okay? So Max, you get first choice and there's no right or wrong. You want that one? Okay. You got five bucks. It's temporary. Go spend it wisely. (laughs) Okay. Way to go, parents. Y'all get the point, right? Gifts are temporary. As great as they are, they're only going to serve us for a season. But who we are as uh, as children adopted by God as co-heirs with Christ is of far greater value because it's eternal. And that's where love comes into the, the equation is love is that aspect of our relationship with Christ that is eternal. So I want to give you a, a chart. This is how Edward summarizes this. And I think it's a, it's a great, great picture. That's why, uh, now he doesn't put it in chart form, okay? That was not his motor manner. But, but I took his thoughts and tried to, to, to uh, break this down so we could see this. What he talks about is two types of, of grace, common grace and saving grace. So common grace is that which all people receive. It doesn't matter if you're saved or not. So if you think about this verse, uh, it'll, it'll come to mind really quickly. Jesus said this in Matthew 5.45. Matthew 5.45. He says, for he makes, God makes, his son rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust. Common grace It impacts all of us. Every man, lost or saved, receives goodness and mercy and kindness and even love, a type of love from God. It's common to all of us. But saving grace, that is unique to the saved only, to the godly only. Does does that make sense? I think Edwards gets that right. And then he goes on. And he says, not only do we receive these types of grace, but there are gifts that we receive as well. And he says, so the, the, the lost and the godly receive gifts, okay? And, and some of those are even extraordinary gifts that, that even look like the gifts of the Spirit. So, so think about this. There were in, in, um, I want to make sure I get this right. Yeah, Matthew 7, 22, there, there's those that look at uh, where Jesus says to some of them, there are going to be some of you that say, well, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things in your name? And he's going to say what? Depart from me, for I never knew you. They were going to perform miracles. They were going to have prophecies. They were going to be imitating and doing things that, that were extraordinary, that looks like the, the, the ecstatic gifts themselves. The ungodly were going to be doing those things. It's not about the gifts. See, they can be imitated. They, they can be given to wise leaders. I think God gives leaders in the world specific gifts and extraordinary things for them to operate because he is a providential God that wants humanity and common grace to succeed at some level. So, so he does those things. But here's the difference. Only saved people 
receive these gifts, these what are ordinary to us as believers, which is saving faith, saving grace, and saving love. Those things are unique to the children of God. No one else can receive those things. So does that chart help a little bit? And you see the great privilege of what we as Christians have, that when we experience the love of Christ, when we experience saving faith and saving grace, that we ought to operate in what is common to us on an ongoing basis and make much of that. That's why, as Paul's writing and correcting the church, he's saying the more excellent way is love. Love. And it's not this selfish love. It's a love that expresses and, and um, reflects the love of Christ. That which is about sacrifice and humility. Uh, as Rebecca was leading worship this morning, I, I reflected back on one of my papers recently. I think I shared a couple of thoughts uh, about this, but um, if I haven't, forgive me. I, I think we did in, in one of the podcasts upstairs, Steve. But I, I talked about this word that John Owen, a Puritan, post-Puritan theologian, uh, pastor, used. It's the word oblation. O-B-L-A-T-I-O-N. Yeah, Claire, thanks for the, the squirrely, like, what? Yeah, I, I hadn't read it until I read Owen's this last semester. What oblation means, and it's a great term, it's dealing with both the sacrifice of Christ and his humility. It's like a coupling term, if you will. So I, I like terms like that because as Rebecca was leading worship and we're singing about the sacrifice of Christ, Christ and his humility, that word came back to me because that's what biblical Christian love is about. It's about how we sacrifice to honor Christ and reflect him and how we do that in humility. It's the opposite of what the natural man loves like because what is natural man motivated by? Privilege and performance, all self-directed. But when we operate in a humility like Christ does, we direct our love towards the betterment of the other person. That's why that marriage picture, the pre-marriage counseling, that, that ding, ding, light bulb moment for that young lady was it's about choosing to love, not just the feeling. Because I, I'm going to be really, really clear here, I hope. What does Christ do for us every day, every moment of every day? His love is a choice, isn't it? It's a choice to love us when we continue to sin, when we continue to rebel. And I know there's moments we get our Christian walk in life right. Don't, don't take me wrong, okay? I know there's moments we get it right. But for the whole, what are we doing? We struggle, don't we? Yet what does Christ do continually? He chooses to love us despite our sinful response despite our rebellion, despite our struggle. And he says what to us? I love you. I've paid the cost. Just repent and become more like me. Isn't that the beauty of the Christian walk? Is that we don't choose to keep sinning because of that. We choose to be transformed because Christ loves us so effectively, so, so abundantly, so broadly. And we can't begin to plumb the height and the depth and the breadth of Christ's love for us. And that's the amazing gift of grace. And that's why when we think about his love, how ought we to love in return? Whether it be him or others, just like that, right? And that's why 
Love is the more excellent way. Let me uh, read this. This is one of the things that Edwards says, and I love this. He says, and this, he's talking about the Spirit. Here he says, by his producing this effect, this biblical love in us, the Spirit becomes an indwelling, vital principle in the soul. I want to pause there for just a second. Do you recognize the indwelling, vital principle of the Spirit's work in your soul? That means you cannot escape His presence. You know that He is constantly working in you. See, see, this last couple weeks as I've been preparing for this sermon series, I continue to think about this idea of how love changes me, how the love of God changes me. And I can either deny it and walk in sin, or I can embrace it and begin to love His holiness and to love the pursuit of Him. That's where I want to be because I'm recognizing more and more thinking on these principles continually is that the Holy Spirit is vital and He's indwelling in me, and, and my soul is forever changed. Now, here's what he continues on, okay? And the subject becomes a spiritual being, denominated so from the Spirit of God, which dwells in him, and of whose nature he is a partaker. So, so I am changed, the subject, me, the one who's indwelled. I become a spiritual partaker with the divine nature of God because the Spirit is working in me. See, we all ought to be totally different because of the love of God. Because of the love of God. And we ought to start using this idea, this concept, this, this measuring point of love as that, a, a barometer to tell us how are we doing in our relationship with the Lord and our relationship with others. We ought to be asking those questions. Am I changed? Am I changed because the love of God is what is taking over my nature? I, I think we're, we treat it so flippantly though at times. I think we're so uh, enamored by spiritual gifts and, and other aspects of the Christian life that, that we forget to love well. And that's, that's the important thing that we need to get right. So I, I want to share this thought with you. I think Edwards says this, and I believe he's right, um, that happiness and joy flow from understanding these facts about love. That, that with love, there's the greatest blessing. That with love comes the, the saving grace, the saving faith. And with love, God is, right love, God is exposed and present. That's where there's joy and happiness. And, and if we're missing that joy and happiness, it's probably because our, we're reflecting on the wrong things. So when, when Rebecca introduced Christ is mine forevermore, and, and uh, Daniel, you're on lyrics this morning, aren't you? Can you pull up the, the lyrics to Christ is Mine Forevermore? Maybe especially that, that chorus uh, or bridge, I think is what she referred to. I'm going to read them off the screen. Yeah, you got, you got them coming up. Yeah, come rejoice now, O my soul. For what? His love is my reward. Keep going. Fear is gone and hope is sure. Christ is mine forevermore. I, I, I love how Rebecca, and we didn't talk about this, but I love how she tied that into our context and culture right now. Because where we are is more people are afraid of what's going on in the world than I've ever experienced in my life. 
I, I didn't know that people had that much fear and hesitation. And I believe that part of it is because they don't have the hope and security of the love of Christ. But for us as believers, where are we? We realize that our love, the love of Christ is our reward. These temporal things are fleeting. We don't have to, to land here. Can you go back to those, those lyrics for me? Fear is gone is the, the line I was looking for. And hope is sure. Why? Because Christ is mine forevermore. Christ is mine. His love has secured me. My love for him is being changed all the time because of the Holy Spirit's indwelling work. And I ought to be different. I ought to be confident. I, I ought to find a, an eternal sense of life, not just caught up in this temporal moment of the here and now where I get caught up in fear. And I'm not saying fear is wrong or sinful. It can be if it's, if it's not uh, you know, overcome by the hope of Christ. If you live in fear constantly, I would say you need to get some counseling and figure out what's going on so that the hope of Christ can help you overcome those things. Because fear is not how we're supposed to live. Being fearful is not how we're supposed to live. It's a sign that something's not right that you need to get to dependence on God. That, that would be a simple counseling principle. So, so how we love rightly and experience the love of God, which is the most excellent way, is the key to it all, especially for believers. So I want to do this. You can put those lyrics down. Thanks, Daniel. I want to give you a couple thoughts to, to conclude this morning, okay? First of all, maybe you're here today or maybe you're on Facebook and, and you're going, you know, Matt, I recognize that what you're talking about, I, I really don't understand the, the hope of the gospel and, and the, the love of Christ. And I've, I've been trying to love people and love the Lord out of, out of who I am, not out of saving grace, saving faith, and saving love. But it's been a work of my own. All of us have been there at some point, okay? Me included. Uh, uh, for, for 20 years of my life, that was me, Okay? I could give you that story another day, but I want to just remind you of this passage of Scripture. I'm going to turn there to, get, to make sure I read it right. Ephesians 2, verse 10, says this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Uh, I'm reading the, the wrong passage, sorry. I want to be reading verse 8. Okay, verse 8 says this. Sorry about that. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. So if you're here under the sound of my voice and, and you're wondering how you are saved, you enter into that relationship with God through that uh, common faith side of things, that you walk in that godly column that was on this side of the screen earlier, what it means is that you trust in the work of Christ to save you. That you recognize it is not by anything that you do that Christ has done all the work on your behalf to save you. And you trust in uh, Christ's work by grace through faith. And if you have questions about what that means, it's not rocket science. I, I, would, I would just beg you to do this. Find somebody today, if you're here on campus, to give you counsel about that. If you're online on Facebook, go to thegrow431.com. Uh, I'll repeat that, thegrow431.com. And on the top right of our website, there's a prayer request link. 
If you just want more counseling, fill that prayer request link out, and we will get in contact with you. Give us your phone number and your email address, and we will set up an appointment to talk to you about what it means to be saved, because we want you to have good counsel about that. Now, for those of us who are here and under the sound of my voice and are believers, I want to ask you this. How are you doing? How are you doing? Are you distracted? Are the things in your life that, that are taking precedence over the most excellent way? I think all of us can be there easily. And I want to encourage you to do this. Pursue the Lord through love relationship. How do you do that? One, spend time in the Word. Two, spend time in prayer. Three, build accountability in your life that can say to you, how are you doing? Oh, you're missing the mark. Let's pray together. Let's get this right. It's, it's not rocket science, guys. But our tendency is to set those things aside, especially the idea of loving God well and responding to the all, all, all the time work, that consistent work of the Holy Spirit in us so that our souls are constantly changed. We just li- try to live apart from that. Because the truth is it requires change. And we don't like change. But I want to read a psalm to you. Psalm 116. Read a couple verses. I want you to hear what the psalmist says. I love this. Verses 12 through 14. He says, What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? Listen, I love that question. What shall I give to the Lord for all his benefits? He's taking account of the blessings of God. And then listen what he concludes. I will lift up the cup of salvation. And call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. What is the psalmist saying? He's saying this. Because of the cup of salvation, because I've experienced the love of the Lord through saving grace, through saving faith, through saving love, I want to engage rightly with God. I want to give him all that I am. I want to fulfill my vows. Are you doing that? As a believer, are you living a life of growth and development and dedication to the Lord, cooperating with the work of the Spirit as He's trying consistently to sanctify you, to to, to present you finished in Christ. Now let me go to Ephesians 2.10. It says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, what we are as saved people are being prepared for these good works of love. God has prepared us to walk in those things. Are you doing it? If you're not, as Edward said, you'll lose your joy and happiness in the Christian faith. You will struggle. And that is not where we want to be. We want to walk in the hope and the surety of who we are in Christ, because Christ is forever mine. That's where we need to be. So what a, I hope, a great thought on what it means to be people who love God well according to Christian love as he is loving us and working in us by the power of the indwelling spirit. Let's pray together, and then Rebecca's going to come and lead us. Heavenly Father, I thank you that Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has identified for us the more excellent way. Lord, if we would be people who simply love biblically, 
how different would we be? How different would the world be? Lord, let us not get caught up in the things that are good, but not the best. Love is the best. Lord, let us love you well. Let us love one another well. And not based on feeling, but Lord, based on the biblical love of self-sacrifice. Because that's, that's how we fulfill the first and, and greatest command. And we love you with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And Lord, we love one another as ourselves. Well, that, that is the, the call that you've given us. So I pray, Lord, that all of us that, that hear and think about these thoughts from this day forward would be only content with the great inheritance that we have in Christ, that we would not be satisfied with just the five bucks and the other things that will be fleeting. Lord, let us look to the eternal things of love, of, of the love of Christ. And Lord, for if there's anyone here or anyone under the sound of my voice that does not know you, I pray that you would draw them through your kindness to repentance and they would find the love of Christ so that they would know your hope and your grace and the sureness of heaven. So Father, we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.